Hey, Scotty. It's good to see you. You're looking a little bit down. What's going on, man? Ah, uh, I just don't know if I'm doing anything important in my life. Where did that come from? Well, at, at church this past weekend, you know, I, was, I got really inspired by the, by the kid that came up and gave his testimony. He was real on fire for Jesus, just you know, going to seminary and, and becoming a pastor. So you think that's like the best way to serve God? Well, I mean, what can I do? I'm only a mechanic. Just a mechanic. Okay, well, let me, let me throw something at you, Scotty. The Bible talks about just hard, honest work way more than it talks about pastoring. So I'm thinking that probably means it's important to God. Second, you and Anna, with the business that y'all have, what do y'all support, like 40 people? Because you've got six full-time mechanics and you've got a bookkeeper and they've got people that they take care of because you provide an income. And that income, it goes right back into our local economy so that things are better for everybody. And then of course, there's the vehicles that you work on, 100 plus a month that you come in and out at least. All those people, they get to go to work, they get to go to school, they get to pick their kids up from school, they get to go to church. All the things they need a vehicle to do, they couldn't do if somebody didn't work on it. And the other thing, Scotty, is they come to you because you're honest. They know you're not gonna cheat them. If it's not an expensive repair, it's not gonna be expensive. And then of course, taxes. You pay plenty of taxes, and those go out all over our state, and they help through programs, people that are less privileged than you and I are. So from where I sit, just being a mechanic, I'm thinking that the influence that you get to have, how many people go to church or way beyond that, come to know Jesus Christ because of the influence that you provide through your daily business. I would dare say that young pastor would love to have just a fraction of that influence that you get to do because you deal with so many different people. You bring up some really good points. Uh, I think you're right. I know I'm right. I think we should go grab some lunch though. It's on you though. Absolutely. That was excellent. Give him a hand. What a wonderful job. As the, uh, as the brilliant friend pointed out in our drama, real success is about value. By the way, that's a headline you'll see in your notes. Uh, you got a worship guide when you came in. Open that up. Look on the left-hand side. You'll see the headline, real success is about value. Now, let's flesh that out together. Open your Bible, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. One of the many Amazing things we learn in Isaiah 2 is that people, ru people ruin their work ethic by valuing the wrong thing. People value stuff. People ruin their work ethic by valuing stuff. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, go to verse 8, and I tell you what, we'll come back to the text there in your lap. You can read from your Bible. Let's just start by everybody looking up, and let's read together, okay? Let's read together from the slide. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 8. Their land is full of idols. They worship the work of their hands, what their fingers have made. In this negative expose, God points out that unhealthy people define themselves by their own power, their own creativity, their own things. Yes, people are scripturally commanded to be productive, but not to define oneself by one's produce. That's absurd. Here's the thought developed by Isaiah. Look, here's what he's saying. Humans tend to worship what they value. Further, people are defined by what they worship. Okay, this is what Isaiah 2 is all about. Please catch this. We tend to worship what we value, and we are quite happy to be defined by that which we worship. So, if I value the Dallas Cowboys, I have a tendency to worship them, to ship worth to them. They get my attention, a whole lot of my conversation. They get my wealth, and I will joyfully wear my Cowboys jersey so that people can know that I am defined as a Cowboys worshiper, right? Now, 
That's nothing against the Cowboys. That's nothing against football. The point is just to see how naturally we commit idolatry with things that we think are ours. <clears throat> That's why we call it our team, right? We can say the same things about your incredibly precocious children or my circle of friends or the amount of money that we make, all things that we see ourselves, our own fingers, as having created. And thus, we worship the work of our hands. We worship what we value, and we are quite happy to be defined by that, by what we worship. By contrast, a healthy work ethic values God. Now flip over 40 chapters to Isaiah chapter 42. You're in Isaiah 2. Go 40 chapters to the east to Isaiah 42. <clears throat> Go to Isaiah 42, and let's read verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. <clears throat> that is my name. Yahweh, by the way, is the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God loves his people so much that he lets them know that he will not allow us to steal his glory. This is part of a majestic hymn about the Messiah and his kingdom that is to come. Look at the immediate context about, about this. Go to verse 5. This is what God, the Lord, Yahweh says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I've called you for a righteous purpose. And I will hold you by your hand, I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners out, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those sitting in darkness from the prison house. Who is the provider? Who is it, men and women? Who is it? It's God. Not you, not me, not any human. We do not provide with the work of our fingers. Yahweh provides. He gives breath to all. Who calls us? Who takes us by the hand? Who gives us purpose, promises to guide our lives, correcting our lives? Who is it, everybody? God. That's why a healthy work ethic values God and not our own provision. Micah shares the same idea. Also a messianic passage, messianic prophecy, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13. I will remove your carved images and sacred pillars from you so that you will no longer worship the work of your hands. Yahweh, the one true covenant God, is going to shape human lives so that his work ethic is rehabilitated in us. Because he loves us, because he knows that everything else is a paltry substitute of worship, he is committed to stopping us from worshiping the produce of our fingers and starting to worship God alone. So look at the difference, okay? It's very binary. Look at the difference. Here's the basic human worth ethic. This is the norm with which all of us are naturally endowed. People can work hard. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to trust Yahweh to work hard. People can work hard despite sin, but that work is about stuff. We value stuff above everything. That's, that's why we work, especially stuff that we think we provide, right? We are defined by that worship and thus work, think it through, work becomes a tool for materialism. The end result is that with that mindset, I go to work to make money. That's why I go. I go to get stuff. God Knowing that all success, even economic success, is actually about value, teaches us a better work ethic. Look at God's work ethic. The biblical ethic is that God empowers hard work. That's very different. People still working hard, but it's God empowering a hard work ethic, despite sin in the world. Thus, we value God above all, who's the true provider, and we're defined by that worship. You know what happens then? That hard work all becomes a tool for ministry, not something for materialism. Do you see the difference? It's huge. It's a huge difference. <laughs> One last thing needs highlighted here. One last thing. This tool for materialism part. Folks, that is, a, that is a massive part of why humanity hates work. 
You see, when work isn't done, as it, it isn't a blessing to be done for God. When it's something that I have to do to get stuff, then it just takes a little bit of time and I start hating work. That, that's the thought behind the song that will never die. Bachman Turner Overdrive's old song that refuses to die. You still hear it all the time, taking care of business. Look, look what Randy Bachman wrote. You get up every morning from your alarm clock's warning. Take the 815 into the city. There's a whistle up above, people pushing, people shoving, and the girls who try to look pretty. And if your train's on time, you can get to work by 9 and start your slaving job to get your pay. If you ever get annoyed, look at me, I'm self-employed. I love to work at nothing all day. That is the ugly human ethic set to a great tune. Now, by the way, I should say this. Uh, Randy Bachman, in his writing, uh, uses irony a lot. So it's entirely possible. In fact, I think it's likely that he is poking fun here at the absurd attitude that is the human norm. So whenever you hear that song, which, again, you're going to hear because it just won't die. When you hear that song, remember the absurdity of the human norm. If any person on earth could be excused for staying in that bad ethical camp, I think it would be this guy, Costi Hinn. Uh, He was raised to benefit from the creepy health and wealth empire of his uncle, Benny Hinn. Uh, In case you don't know them, Costi Hinn was part of a business that is firmly planted in the warped ethic of valuing stuff. He was taught to manipulate people in order to, to maintain their lifestyle of jets and diamonds. Uh, look, this will tell you all you need to know. Costi's family teaches people to give offerings. That sounds good, right? <laughs> no, no. The reason people give offerings is so that the giver can get more of what really matters, get more stuff. You see, you give to God as a seed so that you can get more stuff because that's what really matters. It's creepy stuff. And yet, wonderfully, Costi started reading the Bible. And he became convinced that that ruined work ethic that he had been taught was evil. Do you know he is now a very solid and talented pastor in Central Texas? I want you to look at his comment on these two work ethics that are exposed uh, by Isaiah. He says this, Wealth is not a sin. You're allowed to enjoy it, but don't for a second fix your hope on it. It's a tool for ministry, not materialism. Close quote. Now, that tool for ministry, that idea comes front and center when we get to the New Testament. Jesus especially trumpets the idea. He talks a lot about how a healthy work ethic is about value creation. A healthy work ethic is about value creation. Listen, parable of the talents, uh, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus uh, tells this story. For it, uh, by the way, the context is the millennial kingdom of the Messiah, just like Isaiah, just like the, the Micah passage we looked at. This is about the millennium. So uh, the millennial kingdom of the Messiah, say that three times fast. Anyway, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on the journey. Immediately, the man who had received the five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. 
The man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. And, and that's how he spoke. I don't know if you know that. Um, You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what's yours. His <clears throat> master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. Now, again, the context of Matthew 25 is the millennial economy of Messiah's physical kingdom. Nonetheless, the principle still applies to us here and now. And the principle is God expects his servants to create value, right? Remember, parables have one big idea. Don't, when you run into a parable, do not try to hyperbolize all the details and make it an allegory. The point is one big idea, and the point here is clear. People who follow Jesus are expected to create what? Value. Got it? We're supposed to create value. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether I have a great job. It doesn't matter if I'm unemployed or disabled. It doesn't matter whether I'm young or old, disadvantaged, abandoned, wealthy, poor. What matters is Jesus' bottom line, and that is that we are intended to multiply value. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking in response to that. In your uh, Luigi voice that you like to use, you're saying, uh, Mario, this world is so dark, Mario. Why should I add value to this cesspool? Uh, thank you for asking, Luigi. It's a great question. There are many reasons to add value even to a swamp. Let me just give you the biggest one. You ready, Luigi? Here's the biggest reason you should add value. Because God said to. God says to. When Judah went captive, they had to leave their home because of their own stupidity. They had to leave their home and go to the horror of the Babylonian captivity. They knew Horrible as it was, they knew this was temporary in the same way that we know our time here on earth is temporary. And they could have spent their time, think about this, they could have spent their time between the Euphrates and the Ty and Tigris, um, Euphrates and Tigris rivers, they could have spent their time writing protest songs, right? They, they, could have, they could have been sarcastic about the horror of the stupid Babylonian people, which would have been understandable. They could have spent their time feeling sorry for themselves in Babylon, but they didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that because even in that place and time, which was far worse than anything you and I will ever face, at least from what we can tell today, God commanded them in that cesspool to multiply value. Read with me, Jeremiah 29. You take the underlined text. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Multiply there. Do not decrease Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. I trust you see the parallels. Horrible place, they're there for a temporary time. That's your life. Pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Got it? Remember, it's easy. <laughs> the easiest thing in the world is to write a protest song, okay? It's easy to deconstruct. As Pastor A.J. pointed out earlier in this series, it's natural to be against everything. But God calls us to be for something, to add value, even here in Babylon. All God's people said? Of course, that brings up the great question I know that you're posing right now in your Super Mario imitation. So how can that happen? How do we create a value? Great question, Mario. Thank you for asking. Look up here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. You like that one? Um, we recall, in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, 
your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. As we summarize on the right side of our notes, value creation is motivated by faith, love, and hope. You know, many Christians treasure 1 Corinthians 13 for good reason. They especially love to memorize the last verse. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? That's fine, but very rarely does the believer in Christ notice that Paul uses the exact same triad in referring to work. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and through them all Christians of all times, making sure we understand faith, hope, and love are fleshed out in industry. Look at it. Faith is meant to produce work. Love motivates my labor. Hope in Jesus gives me endurance. Is that how you head off to your job every day? Walt Disney was deeply influenced by the work ethic of the Bible. So much so that his first full-length animated, the first full-length animated motion picture ever made, he made sure that it included a very positive testimony to hard work, dirty, coal-covered mining. But it's the most positive part of the whole film, right? Song that you can never get out of your head. Hi-ho. Right? Come on, sing it with me. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go. Just keep on singing all day long. Hi-ho. Nice. Hi-ho, hi-ho. Right? It's brilliant. But it wasn't very long after that film came out. It wasn't very long in the 1930s before this instead was a hit. I O, I O. So it's off to work I go. You like that picture of the guy dragging himself? Isn't that awesome? It's off to work I go, right? Faith, hope, and love are not just ethereal pie-in-the-sky feel-good words. They're supposed to spur us to work. I go to work singing because that's how I get to exercise my trust in Jesus. I stay at it through the rough times because I have hope in Him that outlasts anything. I redouble my efforts because I love God and I love people. We lack the time to develop it today, but I I encourage you to read the short letter of 1 Thessalonians. It has a lot to say about creating value. Look, we talked about chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 2, you're going to see something fascinating. The Thessalonians learned how to work. They learned how to walk straightly from, from watching the Apostle Paul. Uh, they didn't just memorize terms like faith, hope, love as words. They saw it lived out in Paul's own healthy work ethic. He showed them how to work. One of the things that befuddles me about us as Christian parents and grandparents is how poorly we follow Paul's leadership in this. I, it, it's really creepy. I mean, what we do is we tell our kids that oh, it's value that matters, not what the world calls success. We say that. We say faith, hope, and love alone endure. And yet that's not how we act. We act as if hard work is beneath us. Or, or, we, or we act as if the trappings of success, the earthly trappings, right college, trophy spouse, great income, those are really what matter most, right? We kind of wink and nod saying the things we're supposed to say, but that's not how we really live. What I just described to you is the thesis of Tim Kimmel's book, one of my favorite parenting books of all time, Raising Kids for True Greatness. here's Here's the thesis. A biblical parent's job is to show kids that life is about value, value created by hard work flowing from faith, hope, and love. But sadly, that is not often our norm. In how we act, we relegate faith, hope, and love to some kind of ethereal attic while we're lazy. Or, or while we, we pursue what the earth calls success. We're horribly like the crab in Aesop's fable. Do, do you remember that one? Uh, in case you've forgotten it, uh, from second grade uh, literature class, here's your uh, Aesop's fable of the day. I'll read it to you, the story of the crab. One day, two crabs came out from their home to take a stroll on the sand. Child, said the mother, you're walking very ungracefully. Oh, we're a long way from any water. Um, in case you don't know, crabs always walk sideways. 
They, they can't go forward. They, they always walk sec- That's part of why they are so unnerving. Um, they walk sideways. Okay, sorry. That's not it. I added that to Aesop. Um, Child, said the mother, you're walking very ungracefully. You should accustom yourself to walking straight forward. Mother, said the young one, set the example yourself and I will follow you. And then Aesop finishes with, example is more powerful than precept. Paul shows, as should we, how to walk straight ahead. We do it by living out the truth that value creation is motivated by faith, hope, and love. Amen? (coughs) Value creation is also focused on God's glory. You're still in Isaiah 42, right? Isaiah 42. Okay, Isaiah 42. Look at verse 8. Read it again. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. It's really simple. If I want to create eternal value, I must treat honestly with God. He is the only one worthy of glory. All that I do needs to be for him and his awesomeness. You know, many zealous Christians, many, many have told me, Pastor Wayne, I want to change the world. And I reply every time, that's great. Hey, show me your plan. And they'll, they'll share with me what their plan is. Sadly, Usually, there are rare exceptions, but usually there is no understanding, much less any statement, that what they're going to do is labor for God's glory. That's not understood. And because of that lack, I know how it's going to turn out. I, I can tell you, even if they have earthly success, even if they raise capital and build things or receive awards and honors, it will not create anything of lasting value. On the other hand, If they are focused on God's glory foremost, then they will create immense economic and eternal value, whether the world measures it as such or not. It is inevitable. Our annual vision this year has been build to last. Our success in doing so is directly tied to Isaiah 42.8. If we focus on working for God's glory, we will build to last. If we don't, we won't. Period. And frankly, this church is without excuse. (laughs) our very mission statement says that everything we do is to be for God's glory. It's written on the wall. It's written on our hearts. Most of you know this. Answer the questions for me. The mission of Frisco Bible. Who are we? We are a redeemed community. What do we do? Do the Great Commission. How? For the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? For the glory of God. Amen? I get some wonderful mail about this. Um, Here's a great note I got from a young mom. Uh, Christina Chen wrote me. She said, work was designed for the glory of God. Working toward this end, no matter what the job, should bring us joy. Now, sin has caused us to toil or strain under hardships, but even so, God can be glorified and we can have joy. Amen. Now, value creation is not just stirring reminders like that or great business plans. Living God's economic wisdom requires regular choices. Look how we put it in your notes. Value creation requires daily littles. Daily littles. I'll explain in a moment. First, let's go to the text. One of many passages that addresses this is 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Therefore, with your, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Now, verse 13 that we just read has the big picture. We set ourselves on the glory of God, taking a long view of faith, hope, and love, motivating us to action. We're ready to work. We're ready to work hard. We're empowered by God's grace. Then verse 14 takes us down to the daily mundane. What will we do in the everyday when we're assaulted by our normal sin patterns, our laziness, our ignorant self-centeredness? 
Martin Luther, for all of his flaws and verbosity, had a really fine talent for getting to the pith. And, and, uh, and look at what he wrote. This was his question he asked in regards to 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, what will you do in the mundane days of faithfulness? Isn't that well said? What will you do in the mundane days of faithfulness? Every day you and I must do the little things that create value. Teach me. Teach me. I'd like you to help, help me here. I'd like you to raise your hand, and I'd like you to share uh, one little thing, some seemingly mundane thing that you or I can do to create value. It, it, it might be something that looks tiny, but it's very important. Raise your hand. Tell me something we can do to create value. Yes. Work with integrity. Work with integrity. Very nice. Yeah. Smile. Yeah. And not, and not a fake plastic mask, but, but Proverbs says that a, a, bright, countenance, a bright countenance spreads, spreads hope. So we, we smile. That's brilliant. Yes. What else can we do? Tell me. Yeah. Make eye contact. I'm so proud of you that you didn't elbow your child as you said that. That was really remarkable. Well done. Um, over here, who? Somebody had their hand up. What do you got? Care for public property. Care for public property. Uh, so I should take the signs back. That uh, no, I'm kidding. I don't have any. I'm just joking. All you Frisco public servants. I'm kidding. Yes. Yeah. That's very good. What else? What can we do? Little thing, but it matters. Yes. Respond to others with kindness. Thank you so much for that. That's horribly convicting. Thank you. That's great. Very true. Yes. What do you got? Tell the truth to your children. The to your children. That's huge. Yeah. You got one over here? Was there? What back there? What was it? You got? Oh, okay. He said it. All right. Good. Give me one more. What do you got? Yes. What do you got? Take time, Take time for those close to you. Yeah. That's huge. Actually, that's not a little, that's a massive thing. Yeah. What was the one over here? Go ahead. Okay. You lost it? All right. Those are all wonderful. Thank you. And they're very convicting. I'll, I'll throw the first thing that popped in my head. <clears throat> first thing that popped in my head was do the dishes. Um, those are all wonderfully convicting. Here's a really nice summary. Uh, it's by Scott Hubbard. I like this. He says, today's small acts of obedience are of the utmost importance. We need to give ourselves to what Horatius Bonar calls daily littles. And here he quotes from Bonar's book, God's Way of Holiness. The Christian life is a great thing. One of the greatest things on earth. Made up of daily littles, it is not yet in itself a little thing. Now back to Scott. If we want to persevere to the end, we need to maintain this dual perspective. One, the Christian life is a great thing. And two, the Christian life is made up of daily littles. Holiness happens one step at a time. The next idea about value creation is value is best created by a virtuous and free people. This one may shake you up a little bit. Turn a few books back in your Old Testament. You're, you're in Isaiah. Go back three books to Proverbs. A little bit back to the West. Uh, let's go back to Proverbs and go to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Let's read verse 21. Proverbs 10, 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Righteousness blesses many. That's the truth of Proverbs 10, 21. Righteousness blesses many. Look at this. Feed is raha. It's a shepherding term. It's a term for leading the sheep to food. Uh, in Texas, we think of, of cowboys, so we think of driving animals, but that's not what's done in the Middle East. You walk in front, and the, and the animals follow behind. This is fascinating. Look, look, when a person listens to virtue and wisdom, right, righteous, that person is led to productivity and strength, represented here by food. 
They create value that blesses others that are behind them. But the fool refuses the words of the righteous. His de- Listen, the fool's death is not brought about by a bad economy. It's brought about by bad common sense. The, the peoples who are righteous create value. Those who reject God's ethic do the opposite. Pastor Tom Nelson had a great comment on this. He said, in creation, we were designed to work, to glorify God, to meet our needs, but also to meet the needs of others. Raha. When we work, we contribute. We add value to others. We cultivate blessing in the created order and in a growing community. In the early 19th century, there was a French thinker named Alexis de Tocqueville. He traveled to America Uh, He came because he was astounded by America's productivity, America's value creation. And he examined the country then very, very closely and wrote a remarkable book about it called Democracy in America. I want to read to you a quote from that book. And I, I, I read this a number of years ago, but I think it's worth repeating. He said this, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines, her vast world commerce, and and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Close quote. Righteousness, goodness, blesses many. Value is best created by a virtuous people and a free people because freedom freedom always allows the most number of people to be best served. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Self-restrained freedom is the biblical genius. God shows that the most people are blessed, the most people are served, the most are brought to flourishing when personal freedom is broad and it is channeled by the virtuous choice of the individual. I know some of you bristle at this. I know you do. You're fans of the current socialist movements that are aflame in the Western world. And I want to tell you that's fine. That is fine. Vote as you wish. Support a large government if you really think that is the best way to live out the Scripture. That's fine. But whatever your political persuasion, please keep in mind what God is saying. Remember to whom he is saying it. Do you know who the Galatians are? These are people that have willingly brought oppressive legalism on themselves. They have curtailed their own freedom on purpose because they thought that would be the most efficient or the most effective way to live. It's not. And the book of Galatians, God hammers them for that legalism. So remember this. Keep in mind what God's saying to these poor Galatians. People who willingly brought oppressive legalism on themselves. Whatever your politics, consider carefully. Please consider carefully before you ever give up freedoms in the name of supposed compassion or efficiency. Value is best created by a virtuous and free people. Now, let's turn to one last passage. It's there in Proverbs. Go to the very end of Proverbs. Uh, Go over to Proverbs. Oh, sorry, I skipped somebody. Let me go back. Sorry. Uh, I do want to talk about this guy. I apologize. Uh, Don't worry. We'll just go a minute late. Um, I don't think anyone probably understood what I just said about value created by virtuous and free people as much as this dude, Karol Wojtyla, who uh, later became Pope John Paul II. He grew up as as Karol under the horrors of legalism that was imposed on his poor Poland by the uh, right-wing socialists. Uh, we call them Nazis, uh, National Socialists. They were right-wing socialists, and they, they terrorized his country 
horribly. He survived that, but then he spent his adult life under the horrors of the left-wing socialists, the Soviet communists, and he lived under this horrible oppression, and yet he became one of the engines that God used to set Europe free from each of these illiberal evils. The reason there wasn't value creation under the Nazis, the reason there wasn't value creation under the Soviets is it was not a free and virtuous people. You know, before and after he became Pope, John Paul II taught on Galatians 5 a lot, a lot. And he always said, it is freedom that allows the most people to be best served. Here's one quote. Uh, this is from his 1991 encyclical, uh, Centesimus Annus. If we're to have a moral economy, it must be tempered less by government than by a healthy moral culture. While laws are necessary, societies cannot be regulated into preferred social outcomes. That depends on a healthy culture, close quote. Value is best created by a free and virtuous people. Now, turn over to Proverbs chapter 31, the wonderful, amazing chapter on work about this incredible woman. Proverbs 31, go to the very last verse. 31, 31. Give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. This is world changing. Do you know what you need to do to prosper? All of you who work in different governments of different sites, here's how you prosper. Reward value creation. Economies that reward value creation prosper. It's why God says to do it. Look, reward is puri. It signifies something deserved, something earned. Labor is yad. Yad just means hand. It's a really, really old word. Um, but, it, but it doesn't mean hand here. It means strength for work. Now, don't be, don't be confused because even though yad is, is physical, hand, it means all kinds of work. Spiritual, mental. I mean, for example, yad is used of prayer which the Bible considers to be the most important kind of work possible. Uh, and that's not physical at all, okay? So you've got this, you've got this, uh, this wonderful, hard-yachting lady who says she deserves her reward. And look at this. She is to be praised in the city gates by her works. The city gate was the most important place of law and commerce in an Israeli village. It's the equivalent of being on, on court TV today, I guess. Uh, what we render works, though, is the most important word in this whole passage, ma'aseh. This is awesome. Ma'aseh is the focused expenditure of energy to accomplish a task or achieve a goal. It doesn't mean the, the task was accomplished or the goal was achieved. It just means energy was expended. Now that's amazing. It is not her successes, her achievements, her victories that bring her fame. It is her effort that is to be praised. She is to be praised publicly because of her effort to achieve goals. Now now, that is the heart of value creation right there. And that is a view of work very different from the peoples that were around Israel when this was written. It's also very different from America's attitude today. All you pretty clean people, listen. Let's be honest. You and I have a tendency to sneer at any labor that isn't clean and pretty and done in a corner office. That is not ma'aseh. I remember when my dad had to sell his business during a really bad recession. Uh, by the way, it ended up really well. Just to give you the end of the story, he ended up working for the company that bought our company and, and being very productive and enjoying those years very much. But at the time, I'm going to tell you about, we didn't know how it was going to turn out. All we knew is he was losing millions of dollars and having to sell his business. He and I were on a walk, and I was trying to commiserate with Daddy, and I was, I was saying... Um, I was concerned for him and how I was, uh, I was worried about him and, and how was he going to feel no longer owning a company and no longer being the guy. And, uh, and Dad listened to me for a long time and he couldn't quite figure out what I was saying. I was kind of fumbling around. And finally he cut through and understood what I was saying and he turned and looked at me and he said, 
boy, I'm worried for you. I'm worried about you, son. He, he looked at me and he said, you seem to think that I need a nameplate outside a door to be somebody. What is wrong with you? And then he said this, son, I can serve God mightily by cleaning up roadkill. I can scrub floors. I will enjoy working no matter what. It is a blessing regardless what God gives me to do. Close quote. Daddy's right. We must honor blue-collar work. We must honor government work. We must reward stay-at-home parenting. We must praise those who can only smile. Any effort that creates value is to be rewarded. It's to be rewarded publicly and privately. Now, we're going to work on the private today because I don't think we should ask the public to do something that we're not already doing in private. So here's what I exhort you to do. This is your assignment. Write a thank you card to somebody who has created value in your life. Write a thank you card to someone who's created value in your life, and there are many, many people to help you. As you walk out, there are tables out there, and they have these postcards on them. There's more at the info booth if they run out. And, um, and all you do is take the, look, <laughs> okay, if you hate writing, I can never think of what to say. We did it for you, right? Thank you for creating value in my life. You just put the name and address and put a postcard stamp, and you're done, right? And if you love to write, you can never have enough space. You can use three-point font, and you can write all the way around. And just leave room for the name and address, and you can mail it or you can hand it to them. Do this, okay? Fill these out. Let's, let's reward Mahasa. Let's reward hard work. Secondly, second thing I have for you today I think is very important. Please teach these lessons to your children and your grandchildren. Stop mowing everything down for them or helicoptering over them. Instead, teach them to value creation on your own. Teach them to work. Let, let, me, let me recommend a site that can really help, the Theology of Work Project. Not everything on there is perfect, but I really like this site. They've got some wonderful lessons for families, some devotions. They have some really cool little short projects to help keep, teach kids about chores and teach parents about chores and about jobs. I highly recommend it. Teach your children well. Friends, real success is about what? It's about what? Value. And a healthy work ethic focuses on value creation. We are empowered, thank God, those of us who know Jesus as Savior, we're empowered to create value by faith, love, and hope, which never leave. They exist forever. We create value by focusing on God's glory, even in the daily littles. That's why we reward work and effort, and we work for virtue. We work for freedom so that everybody can be blessed. All God's people said? Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters because, quite frankly, we don't, we don't, always, um, we don't always work for value. We don't always work. Sometimes just go through the motions. And especially in those daily littles, Lord, the, the, the dishes that we should do, the diaper that we should change, the, uh, the neighbor's trash cans that we should move for him, we're awfully entitled. And I'm worried, Lord. I'm worried for our country. That ma'ase, that reward, um, I, I don't think it's going to be very big at least as it stands now, because the effort is, is kind of minimal in so many ways. And so I pray this. I, this is huge, but I, I know you can do it. 
we've seen you do much bigger. I present this request that we will be people who create value. And that we will thus feed and bless others and help them create value. And I, play, I pray the public will learn from us. I pray that your people, small as we are, will start a revolution in this country and even in the world where people learn the joy of creating value. And I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.